Hey guys, welcome into the Faithful to the End podcast. We're so glad you've decided to join us today. Here you'll find easy access to all of Pastor Dave's sermons and even guest speakers at Graceway Church of Michiana. At Graceway Church of Michiana, we preach expositionally through the scriptures as we feel this is most consistent with the author's original intent in writing and yields both biblically and contextually accurate interpretations. At this time, we would invite you to grab your Bibles as we dig in to the Word of God. The new year has begun. Likely, for many of you, you kind of set some goals, you know, some aspirations for the new year. I'd like to accomplish this. I'd like to stop accomplishing this. You know, that's bad. I want to not do that anymore. Now, as most of you can guess, the most popular resolutions every single year are to lose weight and exercise more. This is the standard yearly plan, the standard yearly uh, resolution that that is most common. I read a great quote as I was kind of prepping for this, and the quote was this. There's probably nothing in the world that arouses more false hope than the first four hours of a diet. And it's true. Those first four hours you feel so good, and you're certain that you've already lost nine pounds, you know, and that it'll be the same in the next four hours. And after you weigh, after those first four hours, you're really horribly disappointed. Now, as followers of Jesus, our hope is so much more than that kind of misplaced hope. This is Peter's focus. As he begins this letter, Peter is wanting to offer these believers something that is real. Something, in a sense, that they can dig into, uh, dig their heels into, if we could say it like that. And so what I want you to note with me tonight as we walk through this is this truth. The culminating assurance of our salvation, new birth, that strengthens us to daily live as followers of Jesus. So the truths that we enjoy as followers of Christ... Those are supposed to energize our daily living. Now, if you remember, a couple things are important as we approach this book. First, the primary focus of this book is suffering. The the primary view that, that Peter is taking with these believers is they have been scattered because of their relationship with the Lord. And so over and over and over again in this book, he is going to address the issue of suffering. That issue is often going to be connected to Jesus because of Jesus' voluntary suffering. And it's important for us to understand that. Now, the theme of the book as a whole, Peter is calling believers to persevere in the faith even while they suffer opposition and persecution. So this is the goal. He wants to encourage them. Listen, you might be going through hardship. You might be suffering. You might be up against a difficult time, persevere. Keep on in your relationship with the Lord. Now, Peter, in this next section, and it's really verse 3 here in chapter 1, all the way into the middle of chapter 2. That entire section is kind of this big, giant discourse on Christian living. And how are we going to live as believers? Now, here's what's interesting to me in that section. If you're taking notes, write this down because it'll help you if you read ahead of me to kind of know where Peter's going and how he's going to get there. 
But each of these two sections, and there is two parts to this challenge that he gives, each of them begins with some positive affirmations for believers. So in chapter 3, or chapter 1, verses 3 to 12, he begins with those affirmations. Here are the things that are true about your relationship with Jesus. And these things both ground you and they give you the strength to carry on in the face of suffering, in the face of hardship. He gives us the second one. That second section is really the beginning of chapter 2. And that set of positive affirmations begins in verse 1 and goes through verse 5. And then after he gives those affirmations, he then gives a section of exhortation. So based on these truths, here's how life is supposed to work. Here's how being a follower of Jesus looks Because of all of these truths, right? And that set of exhortations finishes chapter 1, verse 13, all the way to the end, verse 25. Here is the practical way we live out the truths that we started with. Same thing is true at the beginning of chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. That's the exhortation. Live this out. So the affirmation is the beginning, 1 to 5. And then he says, here is how we live this. And this is how this first section, the entire thing is framed. Now, what I want you to note, this is often the way it works with the epistles. It's the way it works with Paul's epistles. You get these big giant truths a lot of times for Paul on the front end of the epistle. And then he literally says, okay, now here's how we live. The book of Romans is that way. You got 11 chapters of big, gigantic truths, justification, sanctification, glorification, right? Conversion, all of that, adoption, all of these realities Paul discusses and then literally says in chapter 12 through chapter 15. Now, here's how you live this. Here's these big, giant truths. Here's how you live these truths. Listen to me. That's critical. Because the truth is this, and and sometimes if we're not careful, we get bogged down with the truth. We engage the truth and we get enamored kind of with the truth. But the truth is supposed to lead to living. The truth is supposed to change the way I act. So the way that I engage with others, the way I treat others, the way I act in my home, the way I act with outsiders, the way I treat somebody, maybe somebody I'm meeting for the first time. It should be different because of the truth of God's word. And that's why Peter begins with it. That's why Paul begins with it. Because the truth shapes action. But it is supposed to shape action. Right? It is supposed to shape what we do. So, here are these big truths that Peter's going to begin with. If you look... In verses 3 through 5, in some ways, the simplest way to say this is that regeneration produces something. Regeneration in and of itself is an active thing. It is accomplishing something in you. Now, you say, why are we talking about a great big giant word like regeneration? That's a super question, and we'll get there in a second. As Peter begins, 
he begins with this prayer of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's beginning with praise to God for what? For the mercy that he has shown to us, how? In giving us new birth. Now, the idea of new birth is not new to us. Remember Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus by night and he says, Jesus says to him, he says, what do I have to do to inherit life? Right? Jesus says, what? You must be born again. And the natural human response to being born again is what? That is absurd. How can I be born again? Now think about this for a moment, and and this is wonderful. We have two little ones in here tonight. Now think about this. You have Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Jesus says, you must be born again. And what does Nicodemus say? You, you want me to go back into my mother's womb? Now think about that. Think about these tiny little people. That, that, that wouldn't be a positive experience for anyone involved. And Nicodemus is not a tiny little person. This guy is a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, literally meaning he's a teacher of the teachers. He teaches other Pharisees. That's who Nicodemus is. And he says, how can I be born again? I'm supposed to go back into my mom? No. No, no, no. Jesus says, no, no, no. Unless you're born of water and of the spirit. So this is spiritual. This new birth, this is spiritual. There is this spiritual transformation that is taking place. You are, as Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians, you are a new creation in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. Remember, we've talked about the old man and the new man and the transformation, right? We're laying aside old man characteristics. We're putting on new man characteristics. How are we doing that? Through the renewal of our mind. How is my mind renewed? Through the word. You see why the word matters so much? Even the transformation that's supposed to happen because of the new birth in part happens through the word. You desperately need the word. Period. You need the word. So what what Peter is initially discussing is new birth or it's that great big theological idea of regeneration. Now what's interesting is, is who gets the credit for this? Well, it's because of God's great mercy he has given us. So God is the one that accomplishes new birth Regeneration in us. Now, Peter does not leave it there with regeneration. And what's interesting is Peter doesn't go into a giant diatribe of when regeneration takes place, how it takes place. And truthfully, that's why there's wrangling today among theologians over issues like that. Why? Because truthfully, that's not really the point. For Peter, what's the point? You've been given this new birth, and, and, and is, who did that? Who accomplished new birth in you? Well, it wasn't you. It wasn't me. I can't do that. I can't create something new in me, and neither can you. So this is the work of God, but it's the work of God for a purpose. What's the purpose? Twofold. So I tried to point this out to you, and I think that you can see it here, but I'll show it to you if you can. 
So if you look, he says in that first verse, he's given us new birth into. Now a lot of times those words, prepositions, uh, words like that, they're very, very, very important. He says into what? A living hope. Listen to me. Some of you struggle so terribly with the bumps of life. You struggle so terribly with the hardships of life because you don't understand this. The truth is, because of the regenerating work of God in your life, you have a hope that sustains you through the worst. And I I don't know what that is. That's different for you than it is for me. It's different for you than it is for someone over here, or someone over here, from someone over here. Frankly, it's different even among spouses. But here's the truth. No matter what that hardship is, no matter what that heavy thing is, you survive it because of the living hope that you get because of regeneration. That is something that will sustain you if you truly know Jesus. That will help you, right? Now, how do I get this living hope? It's through the resurrection. So what that means is this. The reality of the resurrection is Jesus absolutely is alive. Jesus died. He really did die. He went into the ground for three days, as we discussed this morning, and three nights. But on that third day, he rose. That resurrection is what gives me such hope. That resurrection is what tells me, hey, it doesn't matter about the hardships of this life. There's something more on the way. There's something more down the road that's coming. And you know what? I can survive this hardship. This trauma that I'm in the midst of right now, I'll make it. Why? Because there's something better down the road, right? There's something bigger coming. So as a believer, because of the regenerating work of God in your life, you have this living hope. Listen to me. That's what frames our approach to suffering. That's what frames our response to hardship. And folks, listen to me. Sometimes the struggle for us as believers is this. We don't understand that truth. That really big truth of regeneration, that really big truth of new birth, that's supposed to give you a hope to sustain you even when you're in the middle of something that in some ways, at least on a human level, you don't know how you're going to survive. But see, even in the midst of that, you have a hope. There's hope on the other side of my trouble. There's hope on the other side of my suffering. What is that hope? Well, we'll get there in a minute. But in part, it's because of through the resurrection of Jesus. Now, one of the things that we have to be cautious of as believers, we have to be cautious, we have to be careful that we don't get this mindset, this vision, this thought process of hopelessness. That is characteristic of an unbeliever. There is no hope. And you know what? In some respects, they're right. Because on the other side of their trouble, what is there? There's more trouble. And on the other side of that, 
even on the other side of this life, what is there? There's judgment. That's an even greater trouble. <laughs> you know, I mean, it is. For us, that's not the case. And that has to frame even the way that we look at hardship, which is critical. Now, he doesn't stop there. We have, we have first that living hope because of the new birth. The second thing that we have is an inheritance. Now listen, here's the truth. Not only do you know there's good stuff coming, but you have an inheritance that's coming. And not only do you have an inheritance, you have an inheritance that can't be destroyed. You have an inheritance in Christ that is indestructible. It's not going to get lost. It's not going to get stolen. It's not going to break. The inheritance that we enjoy through Christ, again, goes back to that first idea of regeneration. New birth gives us this living hope and the reality of this coming inheritance. And this inheritance, as I said, is incorruptible. Nothing can ruin it. Nothing can destroy it. It's undefiled. It's not stained. It's not cheapened by anything that we endure in this life or that we come up against in this life. And truthfully, it won't grow old. It will last for all eternity. It's not going anywhere. Now, unlike earthly inheritances that often are prone to spoil, they're prone to fade, they're prone to perish, this inheritance, it will not disappoint. Now, think about that. Two things, living hope and an inheritance. Now, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of a group of people... I love that little guy's voice. Anyways, the reality is nothing can take away this living hope and the inheritance that we have. And those two things, in the face of suffering, in the face of opposition, in the face of persecution, those sustain us. Those carry us through those difficulties, through those times of suffering. And think about who Peter's writing to. Listen to me. I know that people in this room, you have faced some hard things. You've come up against some trouble. Listen, have you ever been run off from your home because you're a follower of Jesus? I'm fairly confident when I say no. You have not faced that one. That's who Peter's writing to. And he literally says, listen to me, you're going to survive. Why? Because you've been regenerated. Because of new birth, you have this living hope. You have an inheritance. Let that Truth sustain you, right? Carry on because of that reality. And it ought to be something that does sustain us. Now look at what he says as he continues in verse 5. He says, so you are being guarded. God himself is guarding you by his own power. Through what? Through faith. His faith? Your faith. You're, you're being guarded. God is guarding you through faith, your faith, for a salvation. Now, we literally could say for a future salvation, because that is what we're talking about. This is not saying for the salvation you enjoy now. And sometimes we, we, 
in our thinking, we think about salvation in the sense of how does this affect me right now? You know, am I saved right now? Well, yes, I, 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 Lord willing, I, tr- I hope that you are. But that's not Peter's point. Peter's point is this salvation, it's going to culminate in a final, a complete salvation. And that's what we talked about in the past. This is glorification, right? This is the end. This is the goal. The goal is for us to finally and completely be transformed into the image of Jesus. That's what Peter's describing here. And guess what? It's ready to be revealed when? Not now. (laughs) In the last time. So this salvation's coming, but not right now. It'll be here, but not right now. But we know it's coming. We're assured that it's coming. It will happen. Now, what I want you to think of for a moment is what kind of stability does that provide to believers who are genuinely hurting, suffering, fleeing, running for their very lives, some of them? That's a source of hope. And it's not, it's not fake. It's not, hey, listen, just say, you know, uh, bless God and you'll be okay or praise the Lord. It's not that. It's, this, this, is, this isn't a false assurance. This is real. It doesn't mean you're not hurting. It doesn't mean what your experience isn't hard. It doesn't mean that the suffering isn't real. None of that's true. What it means is there's a bigger truth that sustains me in the midst of my hardship. And listen, that's the key. For believers, there's a bigger truth than my hardship. There's a bigger truth than my suffering. It's my right standing with God. It's my right standing with Christ, with Jesus, because of his work on my behalf. That sustains me. With the understanding that everything that I have, it will come to completion. It will culminate one day, again, when I'm transformed completely into the image of Jesus. And so that sustains me. It provides hope. And it is an inheritance that absolutely is ours. It is mine. It is yours. And it sustains me in the midst of my hardship. Now he transitions. He continues and he kind of shifts a little bit. He he shifts now to the joy that is ours in new birth. The fact that we have been transformed and are a new creation, this offers us joy. It it ought to produce joy in us. And look at what he says now in verses 6 and following. He says, you rejoice in this, even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Now, Now think about this. He's acknowledging. Peter is not saying, listen, when you go through a trial, what you do is you just say, praise the Lord. Right? And you kind of, you put a fake smile on your face. You know? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, your joy is not in the circumstances of your trial. Your joy is not about your hardship. Your joy is not figuring out how to most effectively work through your hardship. No, no, no. Your joy is in the new birth that you have because of God. Your joy is in the fact that you are a new creation through Jesus. And that joy sustains you in 
all kinds of trials. That's his point at the end of verse 6. Various kinds of trials. All kinds of different areas of hardship or suffering. All of those. The joy that you have because you are in Christ, that keeps you going. He goes on in verse 7. Look what he says. So that. Now, the so that, this is one of my favorite phrases in the original. And uh, you can see it right there. This is a hint clause. It's purpose. He's literally saying, here's the purpose, right? Here's the purpose. Here's the purpose, right? So here's the purpose. The proven character of your faith. You see, as you walk through hardship, you know what it does? It demonstrates the reality of your faith. Now, think through this for a moment. Um, I don't know how many of you have ever towed uh, a trailer or something of that nature, but you put on the trailer on the back of your vehicle, you hook it up. Well, several years ago, we were moving, and I was trying to tow a car behind the tr- the truck, and it was it was a nightmare. So I had to get the car carrier. I had a friend put it on. The friend was actually older and more mature than me and should have been a help. He was not. And if he was here tonight, he would be laughing when I tell you this story. It was actually, it was a horrible nightmare. We're hooking this thing onto a, a truck that I was pulling, a, a big vehicle. And so I go with the car and I drive onto the, the car carrier, right? Well, the car carrier, the trailer's supposed to be hooked to the, to the truck. And when you hook the trailer to the truck and you put it on the ball and you screw it down and it, it, it stays there, right? Well, guess what happens if you don't hook it to the truck? It goes straight up to the sky, right? Well, that's what happened. I drove the car on. The trailer that was supposed to be hooked to the truck pointed straight up to the heavens, right? And I'm sitting on the back of the trailer with a car, and I say to him, I rolled the window down first. I say to him, what do I do now? You know, the trailer's up in the air, right? Because... It, it wasn't true. It didn't work. It, 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 it was, that's not the way it works, right? Now you'd have the same problem if your hitch was bad and it broke. I read an illustration about a couple of mountain climbers and that's exactly what happened to them. They had this rope and they jump off the side of the cliff and the rope is supposed to sustain them. But guess what? It wasn't a good rope and it broke and they fell 4,000 feet to their death. Right? Well, yeah, that's not the way, that's, that's faulty. Listen, that's not what we're working with. This, this isn't that. When God accomplishes this new birth, as we walk through trials, as we go through difficulty, you know what happens? The difficulty actually becomes proof that our faith is real. And listen to me. Many, many times you can tell with a professing believer, you can tell sometimes they may not know the Lord. You want to know why? They go through a trial, they're a basket case. Now, sometimes that may be because they don't understand truths like this. And so they need to remember these truths. But in reality, as we suffer hardship and we suffer it, we endure it in the way that God calls us to endure it. You know what it does? It literally, it literally is a demonstration. This works. The rope holds. Right? 
the, the ball on the trailer, it doesn't break. It doesn't fall to the ground. Why? It's real. And that's exactly what Peter is saying. Now think through this for a minute. As a believer, I'm enduring hardship. I've been run off from my home. And how do I respond to this? Peter literally says, the fact that you are enduring is a demonstration that your faith is real. It's real. That this is real. This is legitimate. You can tell that it is. Because what happens with this faith, not only do, does it help you to endure, but it's also refined. Now look at the rest of what he says here. He says in verse 7, he says, so that the proven character of your faith, which now he kind of gives this illustration, which is more valuable than gold, which gold, though it's perishable, even gold is refined by fire, but that your faith then may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, in some ways this is fascinating. This is a great verse. Because what it reminds us of is this. For many of us in this room, if I came to you tonight and said, I've got two gold bars, would you like the two gold bars or the assurance that your faith is real? Right? And for a lot of us in our mindset, in our 21st century mindset, we think, yeah, let me have the gold bars. I'll worry about the faith thing later. You know, that's Peter's illustration. All of us look at gold and say it's valuable, right? But do you understand even gold is refined by fire? You make gold even more pure with a really hot fire. This is in essence what's happening with our faith. Suffering, in a sense, there is this purifying aspect to it, and ultimately it results in what? Praise, glory, honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, initially when I read that, I think in my mind, praise, honor, and glory, well, who's who's getting that, right? And obviously we can argue God's going to get that and, and deserves that and should, right? And Peter begins with that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But folks, do you realize that that description is for God's people as they faithfully endure? As they stand before him one day, as Paul says at the end of 2 Timothy, and Paul says, listen, when I stand for God, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You, you finished your course. You, you did what I called you to do. Folks, that's supposed to be the reality for every single one of us as believers. That's supposed to be true of you and me. And the truth is, as we endure the hardship, the suffering, the struggles of this life, our faith is strengthened. As we endure, that adds in a sense, it adds this praise and honor and glory that will be ours at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What a thought. God gives us grace to endure God gives us grace to survive, in a sense, the suffering that comes into life. And then, even then, we'll acknowledge with this praise and glory and honor at his revelation that we've endured. Right? Verse 8. He goes on. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with this inexpressible and glorious joy. 
Because you are receiving the goal of your faith, which is what? The salvation of your souls. Ultimately, the the goal of our faith is salvation, rescue, right? Now, ultimately, that culminates in the future. And again, I think that's what he's referring to. The culmination of salvation is future. It's not now. By God's grace, you are in the midst of that. You have accepted the offer of Christ, the sacrifice on your behalf, you've accepted that. And so in a sense, yes, you are saved right now, but that process is not done. It's not complete. It will be complete in the future. And that's what Peter's talking about. This is a process that will end out there in eternity, right? Now, in verse 8, as he begins, and this is fascinating to me, he is literally speaking to first century believers, and you know what he's saying to them? Though you didn't see Jesus like I did. Though you never met him personally like I did. Though you never heard him speak live like I did. Though you never sat and had a conversation with him like I did. You see the difference? Peter's literally writing to people, they never met Jesus. But Peter had. Now, as Peter writes this, in some senses, he's silently saying, I do love him. You know, and I I love him on a personal basis. I met him. I walked with him. He talked to me. He even told me once, get behind me, Satan, right? That would have been a hard day. But I bet you Peter remembered it. But Peter says to these believers, you've never seen him. And even though you haven't seen him, you love him. And even though you've never seen him, you believe in him. You're resting in him. You're trusting him. I've seen him. I know he's real. I've spoken to him. You haven't like I have. And yet you believe just like I believe. You love him just like I love him. And I do find this fascinating. In this sense, Peter, as he writes this, he is acknowledging the, in a sense, the intensity of the Christian character towards Jesus. There is this love. There is this genuine belief, which at times, even as we discussed today in the Q&A, you try to tell somebody else and they say, that's not real. I don't know how you can believe that. Inside, you're kind of like, what? Of course this is real. I know I know Jesus, you know. I know he's real. It it kind of can frazzle you a little bit. And this is why. Because even though you've never seen him, you believe. And even though you've never been with him, you love him. And it's real. This is Peter's point. This is God's people. Both for them, those that are dispersed and never met Jesus, and for us. Though we haven't seen him, what ought to characterize our personal Christian character is this genuine love of our Savior. This genuine trust. Do you genuinely trust Jesus? Sometimes that's hard, isn't it? It's hard for us to trust things at times we can see. And we're supposed to trust one we have never seen. And yet, because of this new birth, because of regeneration, we can. 
We should, by God's grace, we're growing in that, I hope. He goes on in verse 9, and he says, because you are receiving the goal of your faith. So you're rejoicing with this inexpressible joy. You're believing you love him. Why? Because you are receiving the goal of faith. And that's what? Salvation. And you know what? For all of us as believers, to a varying degree, certainly, all of us have experienced in a subjective way that work of Jesus in our hearts. That active, real interaction with the Lord. That, in a sense, is a very real assurance to us. That one day, what Jesus has begun, this new birth, will culminate completely in full and final salvation, rescue, transformation into the image of Jesus. Now, These affirmations that Peter begins with, these statements of truth, these are supposed to sustain these believers in the midst of their suffering, but they're also going to be the motivation, they're also going to be, in a sense we could say, the foundation for the steps of Christian living that he is going to exhort them to do. So listen carefully. These truths are critical. For many of us, part of our struggle as believers, we don't understand some of these truths. We don't understand the living hope that we have. We don't understand that this salvation, it is going to culminate. And yes, again, your walk, it might be different than somebody else's. You might be in a very different spot. And truthfully tonight, every single person in this room is probably in a little bit different spot with the Lord. That's okay. But the truth is, it is leading us to that place of completion. This will culminate when we are glorified, transformed completely into the image and likeness of our Savior. This process, we could say in some respects, this is the entire process of growth in the Christian life. This is kind of what Peter's describing. This is like the whole process that we're supposed to be going through. And think through it. In the end of this book, what's he going to say? But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Likely, many of you have memorized that verse. But think about all the truths that Peter has leading up to that verse. This is the grace he's calling us to grow in. So these truths are essential. They're foundational for us to truly take those steps we're supposed to take. For us to truly be what God would have us to be. This is the goal. For believers to continue to believe in Christ, to continue to rejoice in Christ, to grow in their personal trust of Him, for their faith to produce joy in all of the good benefits that he has provided us, specifically here, this living hope, this inheritance, all of this should produce joy in us. This is the goal for believers. Now, is this a reality for you? Are you continuing to grow in Christ? Are you growing to Christian maturity as you increasingly understand truths like this? 
Is God continuing this work in you? He's supposed to. This is supposed to be happening for us. I trust by God's grace that it is. Are you growing towards greater maturity in your walk with Christ? Now, hopefully, as we walk through this, you can see the culminating assurance of our salvation as believers, this new birth, it strengthens us to live every day as followers of Jesus. So these truths that we've just looked at, that gives us strength for tomorrow morning to live as believers. Is that a reality in your life? By God's grace, I hope, I hope that it is, and I hope that you are growing in that. In truth, though, we need help. It's not natural for us to grow in that understanding and to be transformed more into the image of Jesus. It's not natural. So what do we need? We need help. We need grace. God has given us the grace that we need. First, through his truth, but also through his spirit that applies that truth to me, to you specifically, right where you are. That truth is for us tonight. You need it and I need it. So will you allow that truth to shape you and transform you and make you more like Christ? Let's bow.